This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hello there and welcome to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. It is a Wednesday, the 9th of November, and what a busy day it is. US midterms breaking live on the show this morning. We've got all the details and analysis on the podcast today. Plus, another big story overnight in the United States, Disney. Not good numbers from Disney, particularly when it comes to their Disney Plus streaming service. Tom's got the details on that. Uh, What else can I tell you? Uh, Keith Fitzgerald, the investment expert from Seattle in the United States, he joins us live to talk us through what the investment implications are of the midterms. Does it really matter for our portfolios if it's the Democrats or the Republicans? Short answer, he says yes. Uh, Locally, closer to home, Agthea Group is the big food company down the road in Abu Dhabi. You'll know them best for Alain Water. The CEO joined us live to discuss their quarterly results, which were good. Rising food prices, of course, a massive issue for them. And finally, Brandy Scott is at COP27 in Egypt. We're going to hear an interview with the CEO of Future Cities, Tony Cho. All that to come. But first up, though, the big breaking story, the midterms. Tom, you've got your eye on the newswires, you've got the eye on the TV at the moment. It is the midterms in the United States. Results are beginning to trickle in. It's turning red. Uh, House-leaning Republican at the moment. It is seeming to trend red at present. Um, so at the moment, look at the numbers coming in for uh, the House of Representatives uh, lead at the moment for the Republicans. House of Senate lead, albeit fractional, for the Republicans. Yeah, there seems to be a little bit of shift moving on. We had a big win in Florida earlier for the Republicans as well. Uh, The map's certainly suggesting that way. We're still a long way off a clearer picture here. But big concern will be for the Blues uh, or for the Democrats is the fact that You don't need much of a swing. We're not talking majorities here. We are talking very, very slender uh, leads for the Democrats going into this uh, midterm, which is basically like a referendum midway through Joe Biden's uh, first uh, stint as president. Um, So it's a bit of a vote of confidence, if you like. Um, And we know that there is a lot of anti-Biden sentiment around, as there is a lot of anti-Trump sentiment. Trump not standing, obviously, at the moment, but uh, is very much a presence in this Republican uh, uh, campaign this year. Uh, we've been promised a big announcement as well on November the 15th this year, I think you mentioned yesterday. Yeah, it's a week today, isn't it? Yeah, week today. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, watching on with interest because it won't take much for a shift uh, in both the Houses, uh, Representatives and the Senate, uh, and also the governors, keeping an eye on the governors being uh, either elected or re-elected in all the states. Uh, they're crucial as well to a final election process because it is the governors who sign off on... Um, Uh, results when it comes to election night as well. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see what's what uh, at the end of this one. But yes, certainly at the moment and still early days, uh, we uh, have are seeing a move or certainly a lean towards all things Republican, so much so that Donald Trump has been championing uh, the victories for the Republicans from his Mar-a-Lago state over in Florida. What does it mean for economics? We are the business breakfast. Here's Ed Bell, Senior Director at Market Economics, Emirates MBD. 
Once more and more votes are counted and more seats are declared, we'll have a clearer picture on the next economic trajectory for the U.S. But I think I would stress that it does look like economic stewardship in the United States is really going to move away from the government, from the kind of fiscal side of things, and really remain with institutions like the Fed that are not dependent on these kind of election cycles. Now, that could be good or bad, depending where you stand in the market on the Fed's performance since the COVID-19 pandemic. But given that they don't rely on an election cycle, they are a relatively apolitical institution, they will be the main agency helping to support or slow down growth in the US. Keith Fitzgerald of Fitzgerald Group. He's an investment expert standing by in Seattle, Washington, D.C., joining us live in about 10 minutes' time for his take on what it might mean for the markets. But also overnight on Wall Street, Tom, we mentioned this earlier, Disney numbers were out. They've been overshadowed by the midterms, but it's a big story. And it's not a good story, is it? Disney shares down 8% overnight. I suppose that's the way you read it at the moment, isn't it? There are certain publications that are saying it's 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 not um, a great story. There are those that are seeing the positives in it at, at, at present as well. Uh, I'm looking uh, it's the streaming business um, that, that has got the most focus. And lest we forget as well, when we say Disney, we're talking about Disney. You know, we're talking about the house of um, very easy nowadays because of the the focus because they haven't gone would you say that disney have gone all in for disney plus they put a lot on it haven't they they've gambled quite heavily on disney plus because i think they realized whichever bob's in charge uh, realized that they needed to pivot and they needed to challenge the 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 new streaming platforms and the video on demand and 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 content wise they needed to change what they were doing hence why they've invested heavily massively into Disney Plus look it's turning results in terms of subscribers uh, they've added 12 more 12 million more subscribers um, to the Disney Plus streaming platform in the three months ending to September. That's good numbers. You know, they are, in terms of numbers, the biggest streaming platform out there at the moment. It's just a question of how you turn that to profit. Um, and that unit lost $1.5 billion uh, in the same time, um, which weighed heavily on the company's overall bottom line. However, the company as a whole made profit. So if you're looking at it from a streaming point of view, not great money-wise, but great subscriber-wise. If you're looking at it from a House of Disney point of view, the good old traditional bricks and mortar of House of Disney still doing good business at the moment. It's interesting looking at the last time I looked at the report for, for the big three here in this region, Disney Plus wasn't one of them. It mm. was about 20-ish percent each for Shahid from mm. NBC. And we haven't really talked about their IPO, have we? Which is interesting. You had 20% for ish for Netflix and 20% ish for Stars Play as well. Obviously, other players. And Disney Plus is relatively new here. And they, they, they did have a tie with OSN, but now they're, they're independent. But those were the, the big three here. And is, is this what we're going to see in three or four years' time? That just not. We'll see mergers. Yeah. How many streaming services? can you have and that that will be the question and that, that's uh, you know and then you get into the sport thing as well because obviously sport people will pay a lot of money to watch live sport mm. stars play uh, is has invested heavily mm. in live sport hasn't it it's a streaming platform with live sport we know amazon has dipped their toe in the water when it comes to live sport netflix 
to my knowledge, has not. Yeah. No, they haven't in terms of live streaming. I mean, they've, they've done very well in terms of uh, their... Uh, certain Donald Trump speaking live at the moment at Mar-a-Lago. He's taken to the stand. Uh, but he's got a couple of American flags behind him. <laughs> he has, Despite indeed. the fact that he's not the president anymore. No, he looks very presidential up there, doesn't he, at the moment? But blue tie, not a red tie. Blue tie, not a red tie. Is that a little, uh, that little yeah, irony? That's the, he's, is he changing shift for this new campaign? We'll wait and see. Maybe that's the big announcement for November 15th. I've done away with the red ties. Um, the... No, back to Disney, all things Disney. I agree. And you know what? It's, it's, it's sort of indicative of... It's so competitive out there at the moment. The other thing, whenever you see these, these negative numbers for, for streamers out there, a lot of people say, yeah, but look at COVID and nothing got made and, 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 and nothing's been shown in cinemas anymore and therefore the whole model's changed fundamentally. The model might have changed. But in terms of content creation, I was thinking this earlier this week, in terms of content creation, the amount of money that's been sunk into content creation across not just those platforms, but traditional platforms as well, is huge at the moment. I mean, I sat down, I finished uh, my, you know, I'm, uh, I, I like to sit down, I, I like TV content and I like watching TV content. It's, it's one of my things. Um, and I finished a series uh, last week, Bad Sisters, which is brilliant. Um, uh, featuring a great cast, etc., and it's got obviously lots of plaudits. And it's one of those ones when you sit down um, and you go, "Okay, what am I going to watch next?" And I'm just spoilt for choice. There's great stuff coming out of the BBC. There's great stuff coming out of Sky. There's great stuff coming out of the uh, the other uh, the, the, the portals, the streaming portals. There is so much content out there. No wonder the competition's so rife. But nothing to rival Serena Kelly, who's live on Dubai One Television right now, and it is free terrestrial. It's what? It's free. <laughs> We, you can watch oh, I'm free. Okay, yes. To do what you want. <laughs> yeah. Any old time. <laughs> Live on Dubai World Television every morning between 6 and 10. Morning, SK. Morning, guys. Can we get a bit more on Twitter? Yes. Okay, so... Twitter, when it launches its revamped Twitter Blue subscription product, they are also going to introduce an official label for select verified accounts. So Twitter Blue, which will allow paid users to carry the blue tick marks on their accounts will not actually verify users' identities. So according to officials, not all Twitter accounts that were previously verified with that blue check mark will get this official label. Uh, the label is not available for purchase. So accounts that will receive the official label include governments, commercial companies, business partners, major media outlets, publishers, and some other public figures. So you were getting a new label, some people will, alongside that existing tick. Now, this is off the back of a little incident involving a few celebrities. Several actors said they were locked out of Twitter accounts for impersonating Elon Musk. So they changed their picture and display name to Musk's and impersonated him on their Twitter account. Uh, comedian Kathy, Griffiths was one of, uh, Kathy Griffin was one of them. She's actually not on Twitter at the moment. Uh, they were trying to highlight the flaw in this new subscription process. Um, you've had a previous Twitter board member just calling it confusing and a complete mess. Mm. But that's supposedly what is going to happen when it eventually launches. At Serena Radio on Twitter if you want to follow the real Serena Kelly. Thanks, SK. More on the Air and News Centre app. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. So we're looking at those midterm elections in the United States. They are coming in now. It looks like there is a tilt 
towards the Republicans, towards the red side of the United States. But what does it mean for the market? We're the business breakfast, so that's the question we ask. Delighted to be joined on the the line now by Keith Fitzgerald, who is the principal at Fitzgerald Group. He's in the United States. Morning, Keith. Hello there. Thanks for having me back. So we'll look at the market implications in a second. First of all, though, our reading from over here, looking at the TV screens and the news feeds, is that it is tilting towards the Republicans, which was widely expected. What's your reading? Well, certainly there's uh, a lot of cajoling and whining and gamesmanship going on, but that does appear to be the case at the moment. So from an investor's perspective, what is the significance, if any? Well, actually, there's quite a lot of significance, fairly significant, actually. If, if the Republicans come in, if the control changes, then we're going to be looking to big tech, to energy, to defense, a number of the large cap stocks. that are going to be things you want in your portfolio. If the Democrats maintain control, then it's going to be all things EV. It's going to be some lesser things on the fringes because that's all about handouts, bailouts and giveaways. So it's a very, very different psychology at a very important time in American history. So in terms of the stocks that we should be holding in this context i was following you on twitter and you were saying you want to be or investors should be holding companies that are paying them a return at the moment explain that thesis to us Absolutely. One of the things that people focus on continually is chasing the hot money. That, unfortunately, is going to be stocks like Meta and Peloton and Netflix, which have just gotten taken to the cleaners over the last 12 or 24 months. On the other hand, the biggest names in the world, the brand names that you know, love and are familiar with, pay cold, hard cash in the form of dividends that is often growing 5 or 10% a year. If you have the discipline to invest in those stocks and hold them for long periods of time, it can dramatically enhance your wealth because the dividends begin to compound. That begins to magnify over time. And people who do that show that they have more stable portfolios. They bought them first and recover fastest. Give us a couple of examples of dividend-paying stocks that you like at the moment in the United States, your home market where you are. Well, sure. So one of my favorites, all-time favorites, actually, is Chevron. It's big oil, it's big energy, it's alternative energy, but it also is investing heavily around the world in something that the world cannot live without, oil, and then, again, alternative energy. It's a continuum. Pays a good, healthy dividend. Pfizer is another one. Critical breakthrough medical technology, but importantly, a massive dividend payer consistently over time. As they begin to develop customizable medicine, that's going to grow and magnify in your portfolio. So those are just two of many examples that we prefer to concentrate on right now. Well, let me play devil's advocate there. I don't disagree with you, but for the sake of argument, let's take Chevron. If I'm going to be putting this in my retirement fund, and I, I turned 50 this year, so it's, it's, not, it's not that far away, I, I would say, but no, Keith, because in 10 to 15 years' time, energy transition will be much more advanced. And those dividends that Chevron's or companies like them, we could mention Aramco in Saudi Arabia, uh, in our own backyard here, that those dividends will be evaporated because people will be driving electric vehicles. And those traditional oil companies, as I would call them, their time will be gone. Well, I would push back, having got you on the calendar by a few years. I'm 57 myself, so the horizon's a little closer. But that doesn't mean I'm going to give up on a company like Chevron. Why? Because, not coincidentally, they have the largest, most significant breakthrough energy portfolio on the planet. Everything from algae to alternative to solar to electrical generation, even nuclear fusion is on the playbook. So I submit that we're going to have to have a measured transition away from dinosaur 
juice into the energy of the future and that that company will continue to pay dividends for a very long time to come. Questions coming in for you, Keith. Selena's written in, should I be buying individual stocks or buying a tracker fund in the United States? I tell you what, I don't know your individual situation, so I can't advise you personally, but I would advise you to concentrate on individual stocks right now. If you're looking at diversification, that theory has broken down dramatically over the last three to five years. Wall Street increasingly realizes that's a challenge, and you want to pursue the companies that are making those best products we just talked about, that are paying those cold, hard cash, and they have visionary CEOs who are putting the numbers on the table, because that's going to be the path to bigger, more consistent profits than buying all of the other stuff. you got to sweep in the trash with the cash if you're playing dividends. Or, excuse me, diversification. Uh, That's good to know. Finally, a quick word on the macro story, if we can. We had the Federal Reserve decision last week, 75 basis points. Look, I'm very much in the China and Japan camp. I would not be raising interest rates at the moment. I think we're heading into a recession. What's your take? Well, I've maintained that we've been in a recession for a number of months, probably even six months at this. I wouldn't be raising rates right now either. Chairman Powell, as brilliant as he is, does not understand the asymmetric response of real money. It's not just the bank reserves that he's dealing with or labor or job rates. I think he's as wrong about these things as he was about transitory. So I would be taking a pause. I would be looking at how the world is reacting to this. And I would be looking at the mountain of data that overwhelmingly suggests he's taking the wrong course. We've had $61 trillion in market capitalization vanish since he began his follies. And it's his follies. Wow, that's even further than I would go. And in terms of the currency, again, Keith, because it's so important to us here, as you know, the United Arab Emirates, we peg our currency to the to the dollar. So effectively, you, you and I have the same currency here. And we have seen incredible dollar strength over the past few months. If we look right now, dollar euro, for example, is pretty much at parity, 1.000, blah, 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 whatever. It's basically parity at the moment. Where do you see this heading? Well, respectfully, unfortunately, I don't see that changing anytime soon. If I were running the Fed, and I don't, they probably won't let me within a thousand miles of it, I would be buying up all the weaker currencies right now because I would want to spread that wealth around. I would want to encourage a more balanced trade. I would want to rid the world of some of those challenges right now in the hopes that everybody profits rather than destroying an economy at will, which is what Chairman Powell seems determined to do. Uh, finally, can't let you go without asking you about your motorbike journeys. I follow you on Twitter. You're at Fitz underscore Keith, I think. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. Thank you very much. And as well as investment advice, you will get uh, Keith travels with his good lady wife on the motorbike. Where have you been to lately in the, well, you're in the, the, the Northwest, aren't you? Pacific Northwest. We took a lovely ride through the fall foliage in the Cascade Mountains. We had snow on the peaks, beautiful autumn colors. It was a magnificent way to cover the day with my bride, who is now my wife of 27 years. Oh, fabulous stuff. Really appreciate you staying up late to speak to us this morning. I'll let you get back to the TV news feeds because it is the midterm elections. That is the voice Thank of you very much. Keith Fitzgerald of the Fitzgerald Group. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Joined on the line from Abu Dhabi by the CEO of Axia Group, the company that owns, among other things, Al Ain Water, Alan Smith. Alan, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Morning. Morning. Good set of quarterly numbers, 14% increase in net profit to 40 million dirhams, but warnings of, and these are your words, significant upwards pressure on raw material costs. What's been the story of this quarter? 
I think we've seen, uh, I think, first of all, the results are very good considering we saw peak inflation, I think, hit during the third quarter. It's a strong top line, strong uh, strong uh, margin performance. I think we've continued to deliver against the long-term strategy. So overall, you know, we're seeing with the diversification of the business, good growth coming from our snacking and protein businesses, still consolidating the core with the, uh, the UAE legacy businesses doing well. So overall, I think uh, a great set of results in the uh, given the uh, given the cost pressures in the quarter. Let's talk about those cost pressures and inflation. It's the story that everyone's talking about, Alan. You know that at the moment. When you talk about significant upwards pressure on input costs and raw materials, what are we talking about? Give me a couple of examples, if you could. I think what we've seen across the economy, and it's not just in food; it's general inflation. We're seeing in our business around eleven and a half to twelve percent of cumulative cost impact on a year-to-date basis, that's around 173 million dirhams versus the base of last year. In Q2, in Q3, we saw the peak of that pressure. I think what we've seen since is the the commodity costs and the input costs start to ease a little bit. So, uh, you know, we're seeing that, you know, for Q4 and beyond, the the costs starting to come down, but still very high against the base of, you know, the the second half of last year and, and Q1 this year. What are the main raw ingredients that you use at Agthea? Look, in our agribusiness, obviously we're using grains like corn, soybean, uh, wheat, um, which we import from various markets around the world. In our protein business, it's it's clearly uh, it's clearly on the uh, the chicken side, the meat side. Um, in the uh, snacking business, it's everything from nuts, cocoa, um, flour. Uh, all kinds of uh, all, all kinds of ingredients. Our dates pricing's going up as well. So just a general inflation across the market. When you look at every single category, it's quite a u- unique environment. In the last 12 months, cost-driven. It's every material. We're not seeing any easing in it, in any costs on a year-to-date basis. But encouraging thing or better news is that for, you know for the for the fourth quarter we're starting to see them soften a little bit. So in terms of your revenue growth, 20% higher in the third quarter to just shy of a billion dirhams. To what extent is that 20% growth inflation-related, price-related, and to what extent is that volume-related? Can you break that down for us? So roughly around 12% coming from price. Uh, the rest is coming from volume, so a, a fairly nice mix in terms of uh, in terms of the two sides of the, the mix. Obviously, as a, as a food and beverage business, we focus on volume in terms of making sure that we're you know we're 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 selling products to consumers we've got to get the balance right between pricing uh protecting margins and also listening to our consumers about what their concerns are in their daily lives and obviously their expenditure yeah because of course you mean you, you you do have you're based down the road in abu dhabi you're a, you're a commercial company, you're listed on the stock market, but you do have a, a role in society and, and not an obligation to society, but a sort of moral obligation to try and keep prices as low as possible. To what extent does, does that weigh on you and the board when you're making decisions? I think the balance when you look at and, and what we've been able to do with the, the strategy, with the, the diversification of the business, with the new categories, we're able to pull different levers. So you, it's not just about looking at the price that you charge. It's looking also at how you drive efficiency in the business, or how you, you, know, you optimize your cost, how you optimize your manufacturing footprint, basically how you improve the mix in the products you sell. You know, our, our growth strategy has been built around inorganic growth into new categories um, with, with better margins. 
But in terms of consumers, obviously we have to listen to them. They have choices to make. We have to bear in mind what what the relationship is with competition in the market. And uh, you know, I think we're getting that balance right in the term in terms of the results that we're delivering at the moment. Still got 28% market share in the bottled water business here in the UAE, which is significant. Of course, Alain, your flagship brand there. But looking through your your results, water and food revenue was just one percent growth, basically flat year on year. And your commentary was lower demand across the UAE as post-pandemic outbound travel accelerated. We've only got about a minute or so left. What's the story there, Alan? We saw we saw quite, on you know, July and August, we saw a lot of consumers in the UAE, obviously, traveling, you know, first versus the base of last year when people generally didn't travel. So we saw some softness in July and August. I think on a year-to-date basis, the category, the category is still growing around 5%. So consumption is still there. We saw that demand bounce back in September. And I think the outlook for the rest of the year is uh, is relatively positive. So good indicators at the moment. It was just a, a short-term phenomenon versus the previous year. Well, I don't know how many bottles of water you sold at Adipec in Abu Dhabi last week to 150,000 people. But demand, I can tell you there, Alan, anecdotally, was very, very strong. Appreciate your time as ever. Thanks for getting up early to speak to us. It's the voice of the CEO of Agthea Group. Best known for Alain Water, but of course much, much more than that, Alan Smith. It's the Business Breakfast Dubai I 103.8 FM. It's interesting what he says there. You're, just, you're, you're two penneth on that. July and August, everyone left. No one was buying water and food. Yeah, I mean, numbers were down. There was a big exodus this, this summer. We saw that for sure. Um, uh, and that would have taken a, a chunk out of the market. Thankfully, they are back. And then some as well. That's for sure. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. World leaders, climate experts and activists have all come together in Sharm el-Sheikh in the south of Egypt to urge the world to implement actions to slow down climate change. Brandy Scott is there at the moment. Uh, Brandy and Shruti reporting throughout the course of this week. Uh, Brandy spoke to Tony Cho. Tony's the founder and the CEO of Future of Cities. They're a US-based think tank and real estate development firm. Uh, And Brandon spoke to him about the kind of conversations that should come up during these events. So what does climate change, rise in temperature mean for the way cities need to be built? Well, as you know, the the UN predicts that there will be a billion climate change refugees in the next 30 years. And so how we co-create cities of the future is really critical to the survival of our species. And 70% of the world's population will live in cities. And particularly most of the world's population lives in coastal cities. So we know we have to rethink and do a global redesign. The report that came out on the first day of COP suggested that the world is not on track to hit that target of limiting heating to one and a half degrees. What does that mean for those cities, particularly the coastal cities? Well, I think also for the global south and and cities around the equator, they're going to be experiencing the impacts of climate change as we are in Florida, where I'm based, where we just saw increased hurricane activities and hurricane activities within November, which is very, very rare. And so I think it's really important that we act even quicker because we're not going to meet those global targets by the time. And I think we need to reverse climate change, not just stall it or stop it. You mentioned you're from Florida, Miami. You could argue that you're very much on the front line of this. If we don't hit those targets, what will it actually look like day to day for people living there? 
Well, I mean, we're already seeing the impacts of climate change and sea level rise. We're seeing water coming up. We're seeing stormwater surges. We're seeing the impacts today. So I think everybody is on board. It's just how can we rapidly prototype solutions for a more resilient and more sustainable future? And I think it's all a lot of it's technology, a lot of it's policy, but it's it's adaptation and 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 sustainable measures that are going to change the outcomes of what we're looking at. Well, let's look at what you guys are doing. Your organization is looking to build uh, sustainable, resilient cities. What does that mean in practice? So a lot of it has to do with education and really climate justice and the most underserved communities that will be impacted most by climate change. So it's education, it's mobilization, it's food security, it's resilient buildings that, like we saw during the hurricanes, that were more protected, where you're undergrounding utilities in Florida, for example, that could be more resilient. So there are methods, there are technologies, and there are ways to move forward that we can change the outcomes of what's happening. I don't think we're going to be able to avoid it entirely, but we can reverse the course and avoid total ecological collapse if we're really focused on it. And we really invest, you know, in these solutions. I think our industry, the real estate and construction industry, is the most underinvested industry in innovation. One percent goes into R&D. And it's very heavy on carbon emissions. So what technologies should your industry be investing in right now? Well, I don't know if you're familiar, but there's carbon capturing concrete, there's hempcrete, there's 3D printing of homes, there's laminated timber solutions. We need to accelerate the adoption and approval of these different technologies quickly. We need to invest in them and we need to break through all the bureaucracy that's preventing these things from happening. Good urban planning, good resources. So what will you be listening for in the promises and the policies that come out of COP that will help with that? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for action and less talk. I'm looking for less ra- rhetoric and more impact. And I think really, you know, I, I think people are waking up to climate change and it's becoming now more of a buzzword, regeneration and sustainability, because people are feeling the impact. So I think humanity is only resilient and innovative when they're up against a wall. And we're up against the wall now. People may not feel it in their everyday to day lives, but we're going to start seeing it more and more. And I think the more impact that we see from climate, the more action we're going to take. I just, I don't think it's enough and and it's, and it's not fast enough. And I, so I think we need to accelerate our investment, accelerate our, our innovation, and really accept what's happening and really try to come together as a global community to share best practices and demonstration projects so we can overcome these challenges. But I don't think we're going to be able to avoid the impacts of climate change. It's going to happen. It is happening. And we need to get more proactive more quickly now. That is Brandy Scott. She is live from COP27 in Sharm el-Sheikh at the moment, speaking with Tony Chow, founder and CEO of Future of Cities. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.